All right, Merry Christmas. <clears throat> Can't believe it. It is this week, the last week before Christmas. We're excited uh, for this week. And you guys probably saw the announcements, just to make sure, though. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we'll be outside here praying for good weather, like you said, Joel. And we'll be having nine square and the sausage uh, snag sizzle and the games face painting, if all goes well. Lots of candy for the kids and maybe a few for the adults, too, if you take your, uh, you know, parent tax. And so we'll see you at 7. For those of you helping, we'll be setting up earlier than that. But, uh, again, invite your neighbors, invite your friends, and uh, it'll be uh, – outdoors so um, with that situation we feel like that will be still be safe uh, to go ahead with can you believe that it has been almost 2023 years or is it the other way 2018 years since Jesus birth I can't remember if AD or BC is three years before or after his actual, how they calculated it. But it seems like such a long time, and yet it's so relevant as we get into this today. And I'll thank Drew for reading some of the scripture that I was going to read today. So I can just like skim over that part and we can uh, move right through it. Uh, but first I wanted to ask you, have you ever wanted to be able to talk to your pets? To be able to know how they think what they experience, to help them maybe even understand something or communicate with them? Like, wouldn't it be great to help them understand that coughing up a hairball should not be done on the carpet? It <laughs> Go to the tile, please. Come on. Or to try to communicate to the dog, do not chew up all of our shoes and wires and, and the water hose out back. Um, have you ever just thought, man, I wish I could get through to them and uh, talk on their level and, and uh, respect our property? But then on the positive, like be able to actually like listen in on their adventures in the neighborhood, you know, what they saw, what they did, and be able to just like, oh, that was awesome. That was cool. Or to go on adventures together and communicate or for them to be able to tell us more specifically like if they're not feeling well, like where does it hurt? What happened? What did you eat? <laughs> right? And then try to figure it out. But they can't. They can't communicate. We don't have that ability. And we're not talking about Dr. Doolittle here this morning, but we are talking about an amazing moment in history when the God of the universe, which is way far above us than we are above animals, chose to come to our level so that he could communicate and understand and help us in those ways. We are exploring today the mystery of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. It defies logic. It is really beyond our comprehension what literally happened over 2,000 years ago. Last week, if you remember, we talked about a miracle baby 
that falls within like our common understanding of what a miracle baby is today, which is a couple of parents who really can't have kids, either something medically is wrong, they're having infertility issues, or they're past the age of childbearing. And so for those type of couples today to have a child, we're like, oh, that was a miracle baby. No one expected that. But physically, it's, you know, it seemed impossible, but it happened. And so when you throw in the angel visits and the dreams and the things that happened with John and Elizabeth, I mean, sorry, Zechariah and Elizabeth, then we can say, oh, yeah, John was a miracle baby. But today we are talking about a miracle baby in the most complete sense of the word miracle uh, because it is a literal impossibility, something that does not fit into the known universe or understanding of science. So I would put up a little bit of a definition of, of the miracle, something that just cannot be explained by natural law or repeated by the scientific method. That's something that's a miracle. It shouldn't be able to happen. So our story of this miracle baby, Jesus, starts about five to six months after Elizabeth and Zachariah's miracle baby, John, is conceived. And Mary, who's a young woman from a God-fearing family, as Drew talked about, was happily preparing for life. She was betrothed. She was engaged. I mean... Young people, just imagine that day, someday, when you meet that person who you absolutely give your whole heart to, and you're like, I want to spend the rest of my life with him and, and enjoy a time of uh, happiness and partnership. And those are the things that were happening in Mary's mind when life was interrupted. And so we are going to look at the Matthew and Luke accounts, but I'm going to probably skim over since we already heard it read from Drew, and I'll just hit the bits that maybe he, he skipped over. So uh, we know that from starting, if you want to, with Luke chapter 1, that it was when Elizabeth was six months pregnant that God sent an angel to Nazareth to a virgin who was pledged to be married, and that is Mary, and uh, he, Drew, read this account. And so she was confused. She's like, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? And he, the angel Gabriel explains, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Catch this next couple of verses, which is cool. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's straight from the angel, y'all. <laughs> no word from God will ever fail. And so Lord, uh, the, Mary said, Lord, I'm your servant. May it be to me as you've said. And so we go over to Matthew and we see how uh, Joseph also received the message after thinking, oh, no, 
she's been with some other man and it's not my kid. So I'm just going to, you know, divorce her. But I love her. I'm a good guy. So I'm not going to embarrass her. But the angel says, no, no, no. Hold up, Joseph. This actually is from God. And I want you to go ahead and marry Mary and be her husband. But uh, don't consummate the marriage until after the baby's born. And so all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is prophecy number one. Isaiah 7:14 predicts this 700 years before. We mentioned this last week. So this is the first prophecy we come across uh, in Matthew. And so then Joseph comes out of his dream. He obeys the Lord and they go and uh, have the son and name him Jesus. So then we go to the part. Uh, we backtrack just a bit, go back to Luke and when she goes to visit her cousin, her relative, Elizabeth, we remember last week that Jesus and John had a moment inside the womb whenever John hears Mary's voice, John leaps in his womb, and then the Holy Spirit comes on Elizabeth, and she prophesies about Mary being the blessed one, the son of her Lord. It's like, how am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is he who believed the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. And so then Mary, it's called Mary's song. And I'm sure somebody has put it to music over the years. Uh, but she uh, magnifies the Lord uh, I think there's some Latin phrase that's uh, the title for this. The, I keep thinking Magna Carta, and I know that's wrong. That's like a government document. <laughs> it's like the Magnificata or something. And it's my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of his humble servant. But from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And so she goes on to extol the Lord and all that he's done. And she stayed with Elizabeth during the rest of her pregnancy. And then she comes back and, and then she and Joseph travel to Bethlehem, which is where we pick up in Luke chapter two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that was a, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now I want you to catch this because there's a second prophecy coming up, but it would not have been fulfilled if the oppressive government of Rome had not interrupted their lives yet again. It was bad enough that they were interrupted with an unexpected child, a miracle baby from God, surrounded by their family in their hometown, but now they have to travel all the way to Bethlehem at a time when it is not very comfortable for a pregnant woman to travel. Now the mom's in the room. Can you imagine being full term and getting on the back of a donkey or even walking? It doesn't actually say in the Bible that she rode a donkey. 
we just assume that's common travel. Uh, but can you imagine even that? And just the whole uncomfortable, the back pains, the shifting and the having to go to the restroom all the time, getting off the donkey, you know, every 2K to go in the bushes. I mean, I remember when, you know, Marilyn had that uh, baby pressing on her bladder and it just didn't hold as much as it used to. I mean, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just trying to be real. Put yourself in this story. You guys, we've heard this Christmas story so often that sometimes we can just take it for granted. But put yourself in that story. How sweaty, how hot, how uncomfortable, how, I mean, you're going through this and it's interrupted by this taxes. They have to go and pay and check in. And because they were from the family and house and line of David, they had to go to Bethlehem. Now, nearby, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The one long-awaited rescue mission from God. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see if we can find this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning uh, all that they had heard about the child. And they were all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And then chapter 2 of Matthew, we're back into the prophecy section where it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod. And the prophecy, as it comes about, is actually a quote from Micah, Chapter 5, verse 2, if you go into the Old Testament, you can see the original version and then the portion of it that is quoted by Matthew saying Jesus fulfilled this. And this is the verse that he said was fulfilled. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which is a specific town of Bethlehem, there were more than one Bethlehem, just like there's maybe more than one uh town names in Australia, maybe. I don't know. I know there is in, in America a lot of repetition. So if you didn't put the state or the region with that town name, you wouldn't necessarily know. But it's specific in the prophecy so that we know exactly where it's supposed to happen. And it says, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel who's, catch this, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now there's a mystery there that a baby, a newborn, 
this this uh, Messiah who is coming to Bethlehem has origins that go way beyond his birthday. Now, for us, we know life is at conception. When when your mom and dad and and uh, you become a person, you're a mixture in the family. Your DNA is traced back through them. But Jesus is different. His origin goes beyond that. So then we have the story of Herod and the Magi. And he, he tried to trick the Magi into telling him where the baby, the Messiah, this new king that was going to be born was to be found. But it uh, was, you know, taken apart by the angels, uh, divine warning that Herod was not to be trusted and that they would go back a different direction after they found the baby. And by the way, uh, I know it's, it's cute and it's adorable when you have all the nativity sets, but just, just so you and I know, just to remember, the three kings didn't arrive at the time of the birth in the manger in the stable. So they were not there at the same time as the shepherds. And in fact, uh, Jesus was probably uh, one and a half to two years old by the time the kings got there because the star didn't appear in the sky until when? When the baby's born, announcing a new king. And so the time it took for them to travel from the the Far East to wherever Jesus was in Bethlehem took a fair bit of time and resources. And so when they arrived, it says they visited him in a house. And so by the time they got there, Joseph and Mary had settled into the community. And when they brought those uh, presents, they honored him and was told in a dream to go back a different way. And then as Drew read, the angel told Joseph, to also get out of Dodge because Herod is looking to kill him. And that's the next prophecy. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. And that's Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, I skipped. Oh, no. We're on number three now. Uh, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And that's from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And that's the third prophecy we see in this uh, story so far. And so in response to being outwitted, by the Magi and not being able to figure out uh, exactly where the baby is, Herod makes a decree to kill everyone. <laughs> okay, it feels that way. He's kind of a crazy, mad king, very jealous. I want you guys to understand, not only did Herod kill all of the baby boys in the area, that were two years old and under, according to the time that the Magi had told him that the star appeared, he also went on to kill his own sons because he did not want to give up his kingship. He was uh, paranoid about uh, his sons, maybe even you know pushing him out or assassinating him, as was sometimes the what happened in those days. And so he was a crazy guy. So it was very smart for Joseph and Mary to get out of the country and to live in Egypt. But it, it fulfilled a prophecy that no one could have predicted. Why in the world would God call his son out of Egypt? Doesn't make sense until it does. You know what I'm saying? God's cool like that. He puts everything together. And so as Herod kills all these kids, 
he fulfills another prophecy, which is that the area of Ramah would be in great mourning and weeping. If you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, it says this. Uh, uh, let's start with... Uh, Sorry, it's actually in verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, which is the wife of um, Isaac? No, Joseph. Sorry, got confused there. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. That's from Jeremiah 31, 15. So that's prophecy number four. And so they go on, escape to Egypt. And as uh, Drew mentioned, after a year or two, or we're not sure how long, after Herod dies, they move back. But they did find out that Herod's brother was the one that took over. And so just to be sure, they moved from where they had come in Bethlehem and they moved back over to Nazareth, which is further away from where uh, Archelaus or Herod's brother was reigning. And so check out the chapter two, verse 23. He says, uh, after being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And, Nazareth, and so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. That's prophecy number five. Now here's an interesting tidbit. There is no Old Testament prophecy that says that the Messiah is going to be a Nazarene. And so we wonder, why did Matthew throw that in there? There's two big uh, options that most theologians go with. The first one is that because of uh, Aramaic is only consonants, no vowels, the word Nazarene, N-Z-R, as we would spell it in English, is the same or similar to the word branch or root. And so they think it could be a reference to Isaiah 11.1, 1, which says, A shoot will come up from Jesse, from his roots a branch, capital B, will bear fruit. The other option to go with is possibly a reference to Nazarene, because people from Galilee were despised and rejected. And so it could be a reference to Psalm 22 that says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And also Isaiah 53, 3 says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. We're not sure exactly, but those are two big options. But would you walk with me back to the birth and then take one more giant step back before? Before the announcement to Mary. Because I'd like to lay a few other verses over this that are written by the Apostle Paul and a couple of others that gives us an indication of what Jesus, where, who Jesus 
before he was born as Jesus. All right. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 says this. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have, catch this, all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says it this way, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Catch that by his powerful word. Because as we move to John chapter 1, he describes Jesus this way, which is mind-blowing. It says this, in the beginning, where else do you find that in the Bible? In the beginning, <laughs> in Genesis chapter 1, right? Talking about creation. John parallels Genesis 1-1, but he says it this way. In the beginning was the Logos which is the Greek word for word. That's how he describes this. And the word was God. And the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it or understood it. The word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So if you put those all together, this is like mind-blowing. Because the God who spoke the universe into existence, the one through whom everything was made, entered into this world that he made. But he didn't come as some king invading the enemy or as some deity to force everyone to their knees to obey him like, they, like he deserves to be obeyed. No, he came as a helpless infant in humility he put on human flesh as a garment coming as a servant in order to show us the way to eternal life that's the miracle of christmas you guys the fact that god in his infinite uh, nature humbled himself and became a person so before he entered into Mary's womb by miraculous conception, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was the Word, <laughs> the coexistent 
part of the Trinity equal to God. Now I threw a couple of uh, words up there just to kind of blow our minds a little more. If you'll remember, this is who God is. He's omnipotent, which means all powerful. He is omniscient, which means he's all knowing. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all at the same time. There is nowhere that he is not. That blows me away. And then here's a new one for you I hadn't heard. I actually saw this this week for the first time in my 50 years of living. 51, sorry. Um, omnificient, which is unlimited creativity or unlimited creative power. That was cool too for all of you art majors out there or musicians. He is the one who created creativity. So cool. And yet he humbled himself and became a part of the human experience. And so he now became familiar with hunger and thirst and pain and exhaustion and grief and even brokenness in relationships when people betrayed him. He experienced desire and temptation, just like we did. Hebrews chapter 2 says it this way. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, fully human, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement. That's bringing us together with God again. Atonement. For the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those of us who are tempted. Raise your hand if you've ever been tempted. Have you gone through that struggle of failure and in trying to fight against all those things that press against your mind and your heart in those moments of selfishness? Jesus felt that same pressure and that same, same uh, hard-pressed uh, my professor in college described it this way. You know how you grab an, a jar of pickles and you can't open it at first? And so then you do it even harder and it's still not going. And so you get even harder and then you have to get one of those things that gives you a better grip and you go even harder and harder. We have all popped. Jesus endured the of sin and temptation and he never popped. For 33 years, he experienced the difficulty of being a human and yet was without sin. Hebrews 4, uh, 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So today, I just want to put into practice what Danielle mentioned last week. Pause and reflect. Can we just bask in the miracle of this incarnation? A perfect, holy God demonstrated his love for us by giving up his divinity to walk with us to experience being a little boy and scraping his knee, as we talked about in youth group on Friday. And I don't know about you, 
But sometimes if we lose sight of that miracle, it's hard to be Christmassy. There's so many tragedies that are happening around us that it's hard to even feel Christmassy. Uh, I'm just looking at the news, the, the, the tragedy of the kids in the Tasmania that lost their lives. Those families are now grieving through Christmas instead of celebrating uh, with opening gifts. And, and in, in America, the tornado and the windstorms that have ripped through the Midwest and so many have lost their lives and uh, all their houses and belongings starting over in the middle of winter with snow and cold. Uh, they're huddling in community centers to try to get warm and stay um, fed. And people are, are just experiencing all these tragedies. And so it doesn't feel like you can celebrate Christmas. I have a friend who's a pastor. Actually, Rob is even closer than I am. But I went to camp with him once. But he lost his wife this, week, this uh, year. And this week is his first Christmas being a single dad of four little boys without mom. I can't imagine that, you guys. Here's the deal. Let me bring it back, though. It only doesn't feel Christmassy if you're buying into the world's version of Christmas. Because what was the first Christmas like? It was anything but peaceful. It was a place where they were <laughs> surrounded by stress and chaos. It was full of terrifying near-death escapes, intermingled with divine appearances of angels and mysterious visitors. But you had both the poor shepherds and the rich kings traveling, both facing uh, struggles and threats. And Gabriel's announcement of Jesus' birth did not magically erase the evil in the world. Are you listening? Are you getting with me? <laughs> Christmas isn't just sitting around the tree and opening presents and having hot chocolate and watching a movie, right? It, that's not Christmas. Christmas is remembering that the God of the universe took on the pain and the suffering and the human experience so that he could show us the way to be saved, that him going to the cross was his ultimate goal so that we could have the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me end with this verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says this, in all these things, and right before this is a big old list of horrible struggles that people go through and that we experience. We are more than conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us. So the gospel doesn't mean that we won't have struggles, you guys. And you know that. I know you know that. God created the universe. But he now fully understands the struggle that we go through because he became a man, a little boy that grew up and experienced everything. And so the miracle today of remembering who Jesus was before he was born, he is the one who knows everything about everyone, everywhere, 
who creatively designed every single atom in the universe. When you look in the mirror, every part of your DNA that looks back at you in the mirror is a reflection that originated in the word. Jesus, before he became a man, he created man. And he loved us so unconditionally, and he was not willing to let us perish, and he wanted to make a way for us to be saved. And so the promise in the miracle of Christmas, you guys, this week is that there's good news. When we're broken, he's the one that made us, and he knows how to put us back together. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for giving us hope at Christmas during times when, man, it it can be really devastating and tough when we live in a world that's so broken, when tragedy hits our lives and those around us, when people are traveling and, and, and just afraid of all the things that are going on. Please bring us back to the Prince of Peace. Help us to embrace your identity, which then becomes our identity in Christ. We are your children. Father, thank you so much for adopting us, that we could be uh, a brother to Jesus, an heir with him of salvation. Thank you so much for North Lakes. And I pray that you would bless those that uh, weren't able to be here today or that are isolating and that you would just help us to continue to encourage each other and to pray for one another, uh, especially during this, this time of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen and Merry Christmas.